We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And welcome back to another episode of the Golden Blogs podcast, the BearCast. It's been, a, I don't know how many weeks we've been off, um, but there's been a lot of action. Um, and as always, I have my two great, great gentlemen with here with me, Nick and Reef. How you guys doing? Doing hey. well. Yeah. Everybody's winning. A lot of winning. No losses to talk about this week. Isn't that that's isn't that weird? Doesn't that is that is it just me or does it feel weird that we don't have to talk about loss? It it shouldn't be. <laughs> um, I mean, the the men and the women in collective totality played one team that in an average year you'd expect them to maybe lose to, but um, I'll take it. I'll take it as well. All right, so let's uh, let's get on with it. Let's talk with them about the men's, and then we'll move on and talk about the women's for a bit. All right, so. Let's start with the first game. This was the big. This was the shocker for all of us. Um, Cal at San Diego State at Steve Fisher Court. So in San Diego, Cal beat San Diego State sixty-three to sixty-two on on Joan Harris Dyson's game-winning two free throws. Um, just some general stats to give you: Don Coleman six of 15, 19 points, five assists, four turnovers, and three steals. Justice Suing five of ten, six rebounds, twelve points. And four steals, and uh, Kingsley Okoro four point four shots on ten ten or four made field goals on ten attempts, ten rebounds, and nine points. Um, on the San Diego State side, of course, the big guy was Malik Pope seven of eleven from the field, eight rebounds, twenty points, and three turnovers, three turnovers, two blocks, and two steals. Overall, um, this was a weird one because we were up by five going into halftime, and then. It was just neck and neck for the latter half of the game. So I'm going to hand it off to you guys. I'll start with Reef. I'm actually going to suggest a, a different order uh, this week. I'm going to um, I'm going to confess that uh, after giving uh, Nick a lot of hassle for missing a lot of games um, in uh, our prior podcast, of the five games we're discussing today, I only watched two in their entirety, two sort of half of and one none of. So I'm going to suggest for these five, we let Nick lead us off, and then oh. I will come in and clean up with whatever observations I have from the limited uh, game time that I actually watched. That's fine by me. Nick, you have the floor. All right. I'll crack my knuckles and get things started. <laughs> so we're kind of conditioned as fans, right, to view everything through the lens of our team, and Cal and what we did. Um, and I feel like for the San Diego State game, while you know, that was what we're going to talk about and what matters for us is, is how Cal beat San Diego State, to me, the story of the game is that San Diego State played right into what we wanted them to do by shooting a ton of threes and missing the vast majority of them. And that allowed us to just barely escape with a win despite... Um, it, what would otherwise be kind of a... I guess it was a, a solid offensive effort considering the quality of defense we were facing. Um, but I, we are in no position to uh, look a gift horse in the mouth. Uh, any win, particularly over a team that's tortured us as much as San Diego State has, um, I'm just glad that 
a the poor shooting San Diego State that we have made fun of for the last few years, in fact, showed up and was even more poor shooting than usual, clanking three after three after three. And every single time one went up in the air, I did a fist pump and then did a second one when it clanged off of the rim. And that was just enough for mostly uh, mostly Don Coleman uh, to just get enough, scratch enough points on the board to, to get the win on the road. And we'll get into it later, but to the extent that, you know, I believe in confidence and momentum and good feelings, it seems like the team is built on the San Diego State win. Um, it, we might look back at this game as a turning point, maybe. I hope so, at least. Now, I'll, I'll add a few things. Um, I, I was in um, Sin City for this one. I was scrambling down the strip um, by halftime to sneak into the Bellagio um, sportsbook to watch, i say, the last 18 minutes of game action, and I was watching it on a uh, screen that was about 50 feet away from me. So... I, I don't have a lot of uh, schematic nuance to add. And, and I, was, I was yelling a lot, partly because I had a ticket for Tile Plus 16, but mostly because I wanted to see us get the win. But I do think my, my most significant takeaway from this, from the reports, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, is up to that point, up to, until December 9th, the, the thing that was pissing me off the most about this squad was simply not showing up to play in a lot of instances. Um, against Central Arkansas, we mentioned it during the last podcast, didn't even show up. Um, came out with no focus, no energy. Um, didn't look like we really wanted to be there. Um, same with, as I go through the list, the Chaminade game, the VCU game, the Wofford game, the UC Riverside game. I think all of those, um, the team came out with a distinct lack of focus and energy. Um, and, and, and this team isn't sharp. It's probably not going to be super sharp or execute at a super high level or throw a bunch of great athletes at teams the rest of this year. This is not how we're built yet. We're very young, um, and we're still sort of developing our course. So if you don't come out and play hard, you're going to lose to the Chaminades of the world. By contrast, from everything I can tell, and maybe this was getting on the road and getting away from folks, maybe they were just sick of hour-long team meetings after the game, which I feel like, um, um, and... Um, were a little embarrassed by their coach giving a press conference um, with a fire alarm going off um, as if the world was ending um, or the reaction around them. But for whatever reason, it sounds like they came out um, with a high energy level. Um, they were, they were fortunate that San Diego State took the shots we wanted them to take and missed them, as Nick pointed out. But if you aren't playing with focus and energy against a reasonably good team like San Diego State, it, it doesn't matter what they shoot. You're going to blow blown out by 20, by 30, which is what we had seen to that point. Um, so it was really cool to see them turn that corner, and certainly that's the level of play. It was so intense in that second half. It's as intense a half of Cal basketball as I've seen in a while. Um, and I thought it was really cool that we just stood there toe-to-toe um, and showed up to play. Yeah, this was definitely one of those games that I think a lot of people just veered away from. Everyone just kind of wrote it off, didn't want to watch it on a I believe, on, on a Saturday, I believe. Um, you know, 2 o'clock game, mid-Saturday. Wasn't necessarily the best of times to be, you know, watching a potential loss. I mean, the, the Marif would know it best. I think the line right before the game started was, what, San Diego State to 14? 16. It ended at 16. It ended at 16, yeah. So even more so, it was just a lot of fans have just said, mm, yeah, no, this is pretty much a loss. Like, let's, let's just not watch. Um, but turned out to be one heck of a ball game, and we ended up winning it too. Um, I just wanted to I know. Guess, I guess, let me add yeah. one point to that sort of piggybacking on what I just said. We, we talk a lot think on the blog about scheme and statistics and, and, and nuance. And um, we've talked a lot this year about are we pressing? What zone are we playing? Are we feeding it inside too much? That sort of stuff. And, and all of that's relevant. It's going to be rel- continue to be um, relevant as the season goes along. But I, I really am starting to feel like, and, and this is going to sound very basic and very cliche, but I'm really starting to feel like the number one lesson this team had to learn 
because there are a lot of freshmen on this team and a lot of guys who haven't gotten significant minutes. Yeah. The, what, what playing hard looks like at the college level, or if you're a starter and you used to come off the bench for 10 minutes, right? What playing hard looks like um, is, is, especially at our experience and talent level, um, is something, is a skill that you have to learn and, 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 is, and is at a place you have to learn how to take it there every single night. And I don't think they knew how to do that. In fact, I think if you look at our schedule and if you look at the, the teams we lost to and the way we lost them, I think the evidence is very clear. They had no idea how to do that. Um, and I think we sort of overlooked at the beginning of the year that that's a thing that high school players have to learn to do at the college level. And these guys, a lot of these guys don't have the luxury of taking two years, being eased into a lineup and learning from experienced players. These guys had to do it from the jump. It's maybe not surprising that it was a struggle, but I do think in the last three games, they figured out that like, Oh, this, this has to look a certain way coming out of the gate. Um, and, and that's why we're not embarrassing ourselves anymore. And in fact, we're winning some ball games. Yeah, Nick, any thoughts on that? Well, mostly I just want to add, because I probably you know, should have emphasized it. And I, I, we've, been, we've been making jokes about San Diego State on CGB for years because they're an easy target. And we uh, um, certainly have no qualms about... Um, punching down um and it was so 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 emotionally satisfying to beat them on the road with this team when we needed it so badly after what had transpired just a few days prior um and after the central arkansas game my post-game column was referencing like Things that are on the table are like two and sixteen in the Pac-12 type of scenarios. Like that's that's a distinct possibility. Um, even if that were to still happen now, which I don't I don't think it will. But even if it were to happen, I would have the warm glow of that San Diego State win to sustain me until the next season. Go to hell, Aztecs. And and I'll say too to get, to give them a, a little bit of credit, they are st- they're not a very good offensive team. Um, they, they're decent. They're better than a lot of the other teams we played. Um, but they're a very good defensive team still, um, and that's been a tradition on there for a while. And um, after putting up a I want to say ninety one offensive rating in Central Arkansas, who's an awful god awful offensive team. Oh, sorry, defensive team. They're just a bad defense. We put them a 91 offensive rating, and then we put up a 93 offensive rating in San Diego State. Now, that's not phenomenal, um, but the contrast between those two games is incredible. Um, to, to, to actually play a little better offensively against a much, much better um, defensive team on the road, um, it's a significant accomplishment for this young team. And, and, and um, I'm, I'm pretty happy with that as a sign uh, going forward. Progress. Growth. Keywords. Lots and lots of keywords. All right. If we don't have any other thoughts on the San Diego State game, let's move on to the other two. Start with uh, the Cal State Fullerton, which was one. Yeah, can I just add, twist and hook, if you're listening, um, offensive rating is just points per possession, move the decimal over twice. Uh, call me if you need clarification <laughs> on that. <laughs> All right. Moving on to the Cal State Fullerton game. So a week from the San Diego State game, guys didn't have any games. Come home on a Saturday after finals, and we play Cal State Fullerton. We beat them in overtime, 95-89, to 89, led by Darius McNeil, who had 30 points, 6 assists, 6 rebounds on 11 of 17 shooting, 4 of 7 from 3, 4 of 6 from the line. And Don Coleman... Uh, pretty abysmal game from the field. Five of twenty-three, three of ten from three, but ended with twenty-six points um, and two assists, but to four turnovers. He did have a stellar game from the line, went thirteen of sixteen, um, and those pretty much were only two. Uh, Marcus Lee had a double-double with nineteen points and twelve rebounds, uh, and but he fouled out. So there you have it. I'll. Uh, I'll hand it off to one of you gents. Are we giving this off to Reef or to Nick first? Nick's getting everything uh, <laughs> lead off this, this week. Everything. All right. 
So it, the the two things that I was thinking after the game was, um, this was Darius McNeil's coming out party, thirty points for a freshman. That's obviously a big deal, um, and I had been kind of uh, quietly complaining that a, a guy who appeared to pretty clearly be our best shooter by some margin was not really getting many shots it, on an offense that was struggling. It just seemed like such an obvious thing. Like let's, even if it's just telling him be selfish, take shots, let alone, you know, actually running stuff for him. It just seemed like an obvious solution to some of our problems. And so it was great to see him take a much larger portion of the offense and, and succeed and, and go off. Um, you know, it shouldn't be odd that we should have players that can go off against the Cal State Fullerton's of the world, but it's still refreshing to see it happening. Um, so that was great. And then my second thought at the time was, so we had had this really nice defensive result against San Diego State. How much of that was what we did versus kind of the self-inflicted wounds of the Aztecs shooting the shots that they don't do well and then doing even worse than normal? In that regard, this game was a little discouraging because Cal State Fullerton is not uh, a, a particularly good offense, uh, and they are not—they're an okay, a, a, a completely average three-point shooting team. And we allowed them to take many three-pointers, and they made many three-pointers, and that's what allowed the game to go into overtime. So it was. Um, an encouraging offensive effort and a discouraging defensive effort. But in this season, we got the win and that's going to have to be enough. I'll, I'll add on the defensive side. We're learning a few things. I, I don't know that we are actually learning them um, independently. I think the team and the coaching staff is learning a few things about kind of what we want this identity to be. Um, I don't know that we've pressed in this entire three game winning streak. If we have, it's been only a handful of possessions um, and piggybacking on San Diego state um, because we, we've joked about drawing boards around here and coming back from Hawaii. Um, the drawing board looked very man to man. And I guess the, uh, we're going to call it the fire alarm drawing board. Um, I guess was a completely different drawing board because ever since the fire alarm game, we, have um, played almost exclusively zone, including in the Fullerton game. Um, I didn't see most of the San, uh, San Diego State game and haven't run it back. I was at the Fullerton game, so I didn't um, I didn't get a chance in game to run back tape. But um, the zone, I, I agree with Nick, looked mediocre. Um, I think that actually changed last night. And we'll get to that um, when we talk about the Seattle game. And I think uh, there were some good adjustments last night um, that we can talk about. But um, not only did folks get in the middle of our zone pretty easily, but the kickouts were open. Um, that was a little bit discouraging. Offensively, again, we can talk about this a little more when we talk about Seattle. I'm not, I'm not sure, honestly, that we're running much. And I think that uh, Darius getting shots is just a result of him. Um, deciding that um, within the two or three things we run, he, he's free to take shots. Um, and I would love schematically if we got more sophisticated, but um, Tatavio pointed out last night on Twitter that uh, we probably spent a ton of practice time working on his press we no longer use. It's probably understandable that uh, our offense is horribly sophisticated right now. Um, but yes, um, the question all along has been, what's this offense going to look like with proper distribution as the year progresses? And I think we're starting to see that along with Don carrying some load and our post carrying some load, um, Justice and Darius um, are going to be capable scorers in uh, the Pac-12 at the D1 level. And um, they are getting more and more confident. I'll also add from my um, non-tangible, uh, non-schematic and statistical um, cliched sort of observations, um, both in San Diego State and in Fullerton, we had moments when we could have folded, depending on sort of um, who you look at and how you measure it. At a certain point at the end of the San Diego State game, um, we were about 10, 15% to win, um, and we hung in there. We ended up winning. Um, in the Fullerton game, after being up big, um, a lot of that big, but up comfortably a lot of the game, we gave up that lead. We got down. We were down to about maybe 30, 
ish 40% to win. Um, and then it was awfully, awfully discouraging, um, probably for them, uh, to go to overtime and they hung in there. And that's the other thing that's happened a lot early in the year is just folding in those situations. And so again, if we're looking for growth, um, I'm proud of the fact that this team did not fold, um, because we have seen them get discouraged and fold in other situations when they face adversity. They didn't do that um, the last, those two games. Um, and they certainly didn't do it in the Fullerton game when I think everyone in the crowd was expecting if we went to overtime, then it was just me another disappointment, and it wasn't. So that was great. Yeah, the Fullerton game was weird because it, it was, um, I think, a lot of people thought maybe, hey, the San Diego State game, I think it was... The San Diego State win definitely was polarizing because a lot of people I saw on Twitter was, oh, this was just a fluke game. The other half of the people saying this is, might be the turning point of our season where we start to string together some wins. That's clearly what has happened so far. But I don't think any of us expected this game to go to overtime. But the fact that they've had two games now where the game has come down to the wire, whether it was the San Diego State game where it literally came down to two free throws at the very end of regulation or this Fullerton game where we had to play an extra five minutes and somehow find the energy and offense and defense to pull out a win. And I think that's the lessons for me for this team is that they – they're getting experience in different types of scenarios and at the same time seeing success. That's a huge confidence builder, I think, in terms of a young team to be able to get that type of, hey, we can do this. If it's a close game, we have the talent to pull it out, whether it's in overtime, whether it's in regulation, or whether it's even the Seattle game, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And to uh, Nick's point on defense, it, it wasn't great. Um so the last 10 minutes of the first half, beginning of the second half against Fulton, but it was great in the beginning of the overtime. It's like they came in, it's, they went in that huddle, they're like, okay, new game, five minutes, and um, they really upped that intensity in overtime. And that, and, and that D was phenomenal in overtime. And that's, that's not insignificant that they came out after being discouraged with the game on the line, you know, tired, um, very, very short bench and short minutes um, in that game. And um, and they came out and actually played some lockdown defense uh, to take that lead and end up winning pretty comfortably. Uh, that's pretty cool. Nick, anything? Just the, the growing legend of Don Coleman nailing <laughs> a, a four-point play when the game was on the line. Yeah, he also got that key rebound off the free throw as well um, to send him back to the line. So, and then, you know, and I'll, sorry, I'll mention about Don because he he was you know five for twenty three that game, and not his most efficient shooting game. But um, I was noticing from the crowd there were a lot of spots down that stretch when he actually made his best contribution in the game when. Um, nobody, we don't have much of an offense to run at this point, and nobody knew what to do. And he just said, you know, give me the ball, set a high ball screen, and and we are going to get a shot at the basket. He's either going to issue, he's going to um, he's going to get uh, to the hole. Um, and there's a value to that. That's why you have upperclassmen. Um, and however polarizing he might be, and however inefficient um, a game he had or is capable of having, um, who else was going to take the ball in that spot? Because as good as Darius McNeil has been, and as he was in that game. I mean, I don't know that he's ready yet in his 10th, 11th college game to take the ball and um, and take control of the game in those spots. Um, and Don Coleman, we saw in San Diego State game and uh, the Fulton game, um, is willing to do that. Um, and that's, there's also a benefit to that. Yeah. Um, if that's all we got for the Fulton game, let's move on to the Seattle, because I think we have the most to talk about from this one. Um, so Cal at Seattle last night. Um, we're recording this on a Wednesday. It was a Tuesday game. Cal beats Seattle 81-59, to uh, led behind Darius McNeil, 9 of 16 from the field, 2 of 6 from 3, 20 points. Uh, Justice Suing, 17 points on 7 of 12 shooting, 2 of 4 from 3 with 6 rebounds. And Don Coleman, 5 of 11 from the field, 16 points. Five rebounds, one of three from three, five of seven from the line. But the key here, I think, stat for me was six assists to zero turnovers. Um, and with that, we give it back to Nick. 
So I, I don't have a, a ton to say about Cal's offensive performance. Seattle is a bad defense, and we did to them. We had a similar performance against you know some other bad defenses we faced. You know Cal State, Northridge, or Cal Poly. Um, to me, the entire story of the game was that Cal had maybe with the exception of San Diego State, but to my mind, I think that might have been Cal's best defensive performance of the season, even acknowledging that Seattle um, isn't a great offense. Um, they're, they're competent, and, and we made them look very bad um, in a way that I think says more about what we did well in that game than what Seattle is perhaps not good at uh, inherently. Uh, it, it it was the best the zone has looked to me all season long, and so if we're you know if we're looking for progress, if we're looking for growth, then the fact that the zone was was disruptive and forced sixteen turnovers and made Seattle uncomfortable like. They went seven of thirty-two from three, and I think that that's not just bad luck. I think that they took a lot of shots out of rhythm, and that says something positive about uh, us getting better. On on, on the uh, subject of that zone, I think. Well, let, let's talk about the Syracuse zone for a second, um, which O'Toole um, has brought with him, um, which is more or less what we play. Um, the, the that that Syracuse zone has been famous for actually being very good against three point shooting, um, and and is uh, one of the things that historically, statistically, um, actually might have an effect on three point shooting percentage. Because, sorry to disappoint you, sports fans, um, a lot of times three point shooting was just out of the control of the defense. Um, we, we've seen that statistically over large large sample sizes. Um, you can uh, control attempts. Uh, it's very very hard to control. Uh, um, percentage of makes unless you're the Syracuse zone. Um, and the way that Syracuse does that is there are a lot of man principles folded into that zone. Um, and a lot of matchup principles. Um, that's a, I would need a chalkboard and um, a lot more time to uh, detail that in, um, um, in any great detail for our listeners. And maybe we can do that in a future podcast, but, um, th- there are, are certain saying- spots where you have to identify shooters and, and, and play it a little bit like a man. Um, and and, um, and you have to get out to shooters and, and contest their shots regardless of the space on the floor that you're supposed to be covering. Um, that's a hard thing to do. Um, and I think last night was the first time I do that. I, I, I suddenly do that more aggressively. It almost looked like um, when the ball would enter high post, um, they'd almost just go straight into man principles and just run out. Um, just recognize the shooters. Um, Seattle had two or three of them, and and run out and just and and, and just find the nearest guy uh, in your area and man up on him, um, which created a lot of contested looks, which prevented a lot of penetration, um, which is what Jamea has been doing for years. Um, we did it more aggressively last night than I think I've ever seen it, um, and you know let's know again we talked about. It's various drawing boards, the Hawaii drawing board, and then the um, and then the fire alarm drawing board. And it looks like the fire alarm drawing board was basically um, we're going to stop pressing and we're just going to play the heck out of this zone. Um, at least defensively, it looks like that. That's what we've been doing for three games. Um, last night was the best we've done it. We weren't super great against uh, Riverside um, in spots. We were excellent last night. I, I think some of Seattle shooting, they're a great three-point shooting team. A lot of 732 is um, they missed some shots um, that they would normally make. But that being said, um, quality of looks, maybe they're like a 10 for 32. And um, a 10 for 32 is um, phenomenal. Um, by comparison, I want to say um, Washington, who is a similar zone to us, Mike Hopkins brought it up there um, from Syracuse, uh, they shot 13 for 32. So if we, we, we held them for, to 7 for 32 um, um, same, against the same competition. Um, this is a Washington, be, Washington team that beat Kansas with that exact same zone. We held them uh, to six less makes in the same number of attempts. And let's say some of that was luck. Let's say it was three less makes. That's significant. That's huge. 
um, over the course of a season if we can accomplish that. So Portland State is a great three-point shooting team. And um, another one, uh, not great, but very, very good three-point shooting team coming in tomorrow night. So what I am looking to see is, okay, do those principles still apply? Are we able to play them? And are we able to have the same levels of success, at least disrupting and um, contesting shots? Because if we do, maybe we're on to something, and that would be really exciting. Yeah, I think this is uh, – I feel exactly the same about you with you guys. The defense played outstanding. There were moments where we gave up – I mean – Matea Cavas shoot shot four of nine from three, and a lot of those threes, I was like, how the hell did he make those? Or just, oh, God, this is going to be one of those threes that starts, uh, you know, sparks a run for them. But, no, the defense clamped down every time, and as soon as it got into the second half, it was, we're going to make our shots, but we're not going to let you make yours. And then we jumped out to that huge lead, and we never let it go. And then we ended up winning... By 27 points so I'll note by the way Jordan Hill came into this game as like a 45 plus percent three-point shooter on very high volume he was 0 for 7 so again some, some of that's variance some, yeah and, and some of that you, you know you you're not going to hold a 45 percent free three-point shooter 0 for 7 um typically but a lot of that stuff was contested and that was encouraging was anyone else surprised by the six assists that Don Coleman made? Because for me, there were a couple moments in the second half where he's, we get a steal, we're on the run, it's a fast break, one-on-one situation. It looks like he's about to go up for the layup, so he draws the defender towards him, and instead of making, trying to make a circus shot over the defender, he just tosses it right be- back behind him to you know a trailer like Justice, and Justice makes an open layup like it. It I didn't have to. I wasn't screaming for him to pass the ball anymore because he was making the right decisions in those right moments. Well, I'll, I'll make an observation I made on Twitter, which was um, when Darius got into early foul trouble um, and got pulled um, mid-first uh, mid half, um, you expect Deshaun Winston to come off the bench, and he didn't. Don Coleman moved to the one um, and played really well at the one, um, facilitating the offense. He kind of, I mean, we don't, again, don't have a sophisticated offense, but you can see him out there directing guys and, uh, and um Telling them where to go. Um, I think some of that mindset translates. But I also, I, I've never thought Don Coleman's a selfish player. I think Don Coleman's someone who um, loves to get to the hole, but has been told by the coaching staff he needs to do that. And within the structure, lack thereof of this offense, not super clear where to get shots. And I think as this team begins to play together, keep in mind, nobody on this team at the beginning of the year knew who the heck each other was, right? Um is he starting to figure out where the shots are for him and um, where everyone else is? I mean, I think he's going to have high-volume, low-efficiency games. Don't get me wrong. It's going to happen in the future. But I think this is what progress looks like, is them figuring out where each other is on the floor. And I, and I do think those point minutes, I think, um, I think Don had a solid, like, eight to ten minutes running the point. Um, that's going to help him down the line. I think it's going to be good for his development. Don knows that you got to feed Justice Swing. I think it's Swing. <laughs> yeah, the the stream from last night was just terrible, absolutely terrible. Uh, so, all right, but here's here's another question that I wanted to pose to you guys: is the the minutes conundrum with Juwan Harris Dyson? It's it's been all over the place since he came back from injury. The last three games against San Diego State, nine minutes. Against Cal State Fullerton, I believe it was five minutes. Yes. And against Seattle, 21 minutes. Are we so, ever. What, what, I, are we thing, ever. I, yeah, go ahead. Go, no, go ahead, Nick. <laughs> so, one thing that I, I should have mentioned talking about the Seattle game that I'm glad you brought it up is I. He didn't register a ton on the stat sheet, but I thought he looked um, the most comfortable and the most athletic we've seen him all season against Seattle. Um, like visually, he he looked you know obviously there on rebounds, you know, like getting high on the boards, and and uh, it, I, I guess it makes sense that hey, what was the reports that he lost like. 20 pounds from getting from the being flu. off the court and being sick and, and whatnot. So, you know, I could imagine that it might take a month 
to kind of get over that when particularly when it's your true freshman season and you're trying to get learn a system and learn what it means to play d1 basketball so i i thought that was one of the tiny little encouraging things about the seattle game that hopefully he builds on um it was a little weird to see him only get five minutes against fullerton but the game was close enough that i guess they couldn't really risk losing it if he's not ready to go I mean, he's not—he's not polished right now. Um, he's athletic. I think he—I I didn't. My stream cut out uh, midway through last night's game, so I didn't see most of the second half. But um, I think his—I think his ceiling right now is a lot, lot higher than the reality of what we're seeing on the floor. I think if we're looking at who is for sure going to be a contributor on this squad, assuming it stays together for the next um, two or three years. I think uh, of the freshmen, Suing, McNeil, and Dyson, uh, Harris Dyson, are three guys who are going to be. And so I think White Kings is going to have to play him. Um, but I think I think that's the issue, right? When you're in a close game um, where um, he's a little bit lost um, and uh, Riverside Ransom... Uh, Really good stuff, actually, um, against our zones um, to get open shots. That's, that's maybe not a spot. Where, I mean, I think I think White King wanted to win the game. Basically, um, I think last night, especially in a game that's comfortable a lot of the time, um, and in, in, a, in, a, in a spot where his, his strengths can be utilized. Because if we're just if it's just like hypocentric man up, be long, um, contest, get in someone's face, um, and, and and that's a relatively simple assignment, not very sophisticated. I think that's where. Um, JHD can uh, excel. Um, he's not there yet offensively. I think that's a part of it. And um, he's probably the least polished of our rotation players offensively right now. I think that's some of the issue. But, you know, he's playing, he, he missed a few games. He's playing, what, his seventh or eighth college game. Um, and he's a freshman. So um, I, I'm more interested, actually, in the fact that in the, uh, in the, um, Post fire alarm drawing board, our rotation is six, maybe seven guys. Um, Cole Welly got a few token minutes in the first half, but that's it. Like there's no other Ben's presence um, with the zone. Maybe that's fine. Um, if we're just going to lay back in his zone. We're not going to press. Um, these are guys he has confidence in. That's great. But there's something to keep an eye on because rotation is tight these days. Yeah, a lot of guys, or only a select few guys, getting a lot of minutes. It's almost Conzo Martin like. <laughs> oh. I I just heard in the offseason we were gonna press ninety four feet and run a bunch of guys in and out and create havoc and it's funny how <laughs> here we are. Uh was this game ten? Um game twelve and um um we're figuring out as we go. I mean who knows what we're gonna get next. But um hopefully we don't have to go back to the drawing board again. Hopefully this is it. All right. I think that'll just about wrap it up. If there's any other closing thoughts that you guys wanted to talk about for the men's squad, because I wanted to jump in and, and talk about the women's team for a bit. I mean, I will say on the men's I do feel like a corner has been turned here um, since the fire alarm game. Um, and I do feel like... I do feel like they figured out a little bit of okay. This is this is who we are as a squad, and this is what um, we need, what we need to do to play at the D one level. But I also caution us, like you know, what does that look like? What does success look like? And Nick wrote a piece on um, our expectations for conference play, and, and and look, we're beating San Diego State. That was a great win. Um, that, that's maybe a middle of the road conference team. So maybe a fifth or sixth place Pac twelve team. Um, and uh, Fullerton and Seattle would be last place in the Pac twelve. So here we are. Um, doing what I think we're supposed to do to finish where we were predicted to finish. Um, I, I, you know, I'd love for us to go eight and eight, say in conference, right? That would be like our ceiling, ceiling maybe. Um, but I, I would just say like caution, uh, Portland State's a good team. Then we get Stanford sort of middle of the road, Pac-12 team. Then we go uh, down to LA or sorry, we uh, host the LA schools. Um, Turning the corner might mean being a solid ninth or 10th place pack goal team. That might be what this looks like. That still may only mean four or five-ish 
conference wins. It may mean more than that. And this team has been unexpected all year. So I, I, I wouldn't bet money really on any outcome right now. But um, that's still something. And that's a reason to support this team and come out and stay interested. As Nick uh, tweeted last night, and it was fun to watch them having fun and getting fast break layups and sharing the ball and not turning the ball over. So um, the Fullerton game felt dead, actually, and it's, um, I suppose unsurprising. Um, but um, I hope we generate a little momentum this year because I feel like I'm guessing the the squad that uh, gave us the three uh, or three of the maybe five worst losses in program history earlier this year is probably gone. I hate. I didn't want to jinx us. I maybe should not have even spoken that aloud. But I, I, I'm really starting to feel that. And if we can be a solid eighth, ninth place, tenth place, whatever it is, if we can be a, a, a competitive Pac-12 club by the end of this year, I'm, I'm going to be pretty happy with them. Um, and I think that that's actually a big leap from where we were. Yeah. Yeah. That Central Arkansas loss. If you just looked at that and said. That's I think we're calling that level. the fire alarm game now. Yeah, fair, a fair point. If you watched the fire alarm game <laughs> and said that is the level that this team is going to play more or less, that team is going to go like 1-17 in, in Pac-12 play as a best-case scenario. And so if we say that we have turned a corner and that means 6-12, and 12, that's a huge step up. And... Sometimes you just got to take what you can get, and I'm willing to take that right now. And if over the course of you know, let's I don't know, let's say we win six to eight conference games, um, it's a, the number that that feels doable. Um, although um, you know we'd have to play well, um, that lays a foundation for recruiting, right, and for a next year or that we can grow into. Um, and, and, and avoiding the performances that we saw earlier in the year. And that's what we were looking for all year, right? Is a team where we can get excited about the trajectory. And what's Darius going to be like next year? What's Justice going to be like next year? And um, what's Spiderfly going to look like, right? And, and, and um, you know, is Don going to run the point now as backup? You know, that sort of thing. Um, that That's what I thought. I think we were hoping for from the beginning. It was. It's been way more of a roller coaster the first, you know, seven or eight games than we were um, hoping it would be. But if we could get to that point and stabilize, um, that's a pretty good year given um, the way uh, we started and given what the cupboard looked like um, at the start of the year. Yeah, it's a definite, definite point of. Uh, I think this is going to be a spot after the probably right after the Portland State game. Of course, that's the end of the out of conference schedule, but. We'll be looking at this if, let's say, we do get the win tomorrow night against Portland State. We'll be looking at this four-game win streak back at the end of the season. And be like that. Oh, now you jinxed it, Rob. You just jinxed it. <laughs> <laughs> jinxed it. You can blame me. Your, uh, Everyone can blame your me. Letters and comments to uh, at Rob Huang on Twitter. Oh, sorry, Rob Eleven Huang. Yes, please send them all to me. I will accept uh, all. Or Praise if we win. Uh, please do send your thank yous if we do win tomorrow. Yes. Rob Shradamus, you heard it here first. All right, gents. Let's move on to the women's side of the sport. Uh, they play only, they only play two games, uh, but let's talk about the first one against Pacific. On the 10th of December, they played in Stockton. Cal beats Pacific 92-85. to Cal, of course, led by Christina Nigwe, 28 points, 18 rebounds. She did have five fouls, though. Um, and then, of course, Panita Davidson, 22 points, 10 rebounds. Michaela Cowling, 15 points. And Kiana Smith, 12 points with six assists and three turnovers. I Are we still going to Nick for the rest of the I didn't. I didn't see one minute of this game, and Nick was there. Oh, okay. Then we're definitely going to Nick. So um, one of the themes that we've been talking about is just the, the amount of fun that the women's team has been. And uh, part of this is personal. As a kid, my, my grandparents lived in Stockton, and they ran the concession stand at Tigers basketball games. And uh, it, was, it was just wonderful being in the Spano Center, uh, saying, got, got to meet Coach G's uh, son, Say hi to the Michael Oluwa candy jersey. 
Uh, and it ended up being uh, an, an odd, sortly, sort of competitive game, um, a feisty game. Um, at one point, uh, Asia picked up a, a mysterious technical foul, and Lindsay was probably about as close to getting teed up as, as you'll ever see her. She's usually quite calm, and um, uh, we got to watch UOP's point guard go for a triple double. Um, the defensive effort was not very strong. Um, I, don't, I don't think Cal was really dialed in on that end of the floor. The, the zone allowed a lot of penetration. It actually kind of reminded me of, of how the men performed against Fullerton. Um, you know, the, the zone is supposed to be preventing easy penetration, and it's supposed to you know, be prepared for those kickouts. And you know, UOP's senior point guard had kind of the game of her life and tore our zone apart. Um, and, and made things a little a little nervous. But the reality is that they never had a prayer of, of stopping Cal offensively. And even on a night where we couldn't buy a three-pointer, we still scored early often. Uh, Inigwe and Davidson just dominated inside. They didn't have the size or, or talent level to deal with those two. And so, you know, it was, in the end, a pretty routine win, despite some nervous moments when UOP went on a little run in the fourth quarter. It's such a it's such a strange it's such a strange experience um, trying to cover uh, women's basketball obsessively these days because um, I was in Las Vegas for uh, both the men's and the women's games that week and I, I got to see uh, the men's game and if um, I hadn't been able to get to it in sports book I could have gotten to it on a laptop and there was just as best I could tell no way to watch this game um, except via Twitter. Um, reports and um, box scores. Um, but it's also odd. Um, I, I don't understand the defensive horns because the last three games I've seen live, um, Santa Clara, San Diego, and BYU, our defense has been phenomenal. I'm looking at a 67 and 85 and a 60 offensive rating in the BYU game. It's ridiculous. Um, and so for Pacific to put up a 103 is um, strange. Um, strange, and I don't understand it, um, but I guess we'll take that as an anomaly, Nick. Yeah, I, I don't think there's a, a ton to take away from it. Um, I think that the refing did impact the game, not to say that it was in favor of UOP, but that um, they called a ton of fouls. Players were frustrated. It gave both teams a lot of free points from the line. I think it probably softened up the defense because they didn't. Nobody knew what a foul was. Um, common refrain in women's basketball games, unfortunately. Um, so, and, and a, a clearly a veteran, senior, talented point guard on UOP. You know who had, did what she wanted to do. Uh, this is the type of game where I think we missed uh, Nicole Caton because you probably could have put her on that player and say, you know, quiet her down a little bit. We weren't don't we don't really have somebody to do that. I feel like on a lead guard, at least not not what any one player they've decided on. So that a reminder of unfortunate events in the past. But yeah, I, I don't think this is particularly representative of what this team can do defensively. Okay, good. All right. Is that all we got to say about the Pacific game? Should we move on to the next one? Because I'm assuming Reef saw the next one. I was at BYU, yes. All right. So we'll move on to the BYU game. Uh, December 16th, 5 p.m. in Berkeley, BYU visits California. California wins 70-45. to Cal led by Michaela Cowling, who had 21 points on 8 of 13 shooting, 4 or 5 from 3. Aisha Thomas, 9 points, 4 assists, uh, 4 rebounds, 3 of 12 shooting. Kiana Smith, 12, 12 points, 5 assists, 2, steal, or two turnovers, my mistake. Um, 1 rebound on 5 of 10 shooting and 2 of 5 from 3. Uh, should we give it to – we, we're just going to keep going, Nick, so I'm just going to send it to Nick. Yeah, so like, like I wrote in my recap, this was a, a an athletic, physical domination of an inferior team. Um, BYU is is okay, you know. They're they're an, a, a competent 
West Coast Conference team, and they were blown away by our speed, our physicality, our athleticism. You know, it, um, and I guess what's nice this year is uh, there have been years in the past where we've had that advantage, uh, but maybe we're not experienced enough to know how to use it. But this team is experienced enough uh, and deep enough to, to use it and easily win games like these, even without their best player, um, which is probably the story of the game, I guess, um, uh, it, in what otherwise is a pretty routine win over a team that Cal should beat. Um, it, it was, I guess, a little disappointing to be robbed of what was probably going to be the more interesting matchup of the game, watching Christina Nigue go up against a, a six foot seven post defender that BYU had. But um, yeah, the, the, it, it was, it was a tune up win and it's good to see that Cal has the depth of talent to um, win games like these the way they should, even without uh, Christine. I think yeah, the, it was. It, I I wish I could be a fly on that wall and and um and know what the heck happened there. I um was at the game sitting uh, right near CJ West, um, CJ West dad, and um, when she started his jaw drop, he didn't even know um, that this was happening. <laughs> um, and. Um, it is a shock to most of us in the crowd. I, I spotted it on Twitter about 15 minutes before the game. Um, and I don't know I, 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 how concerned to be about this. Um, it's not the first time this has happened to Chrissy. Um, although the last time, uh, to be fair, was a couple years ago. It's not the first time this happened this year. Uh, we had three players sit out a half in the first exhibition game. Um I, I love and respect that we know there are standards in this program uh, that are being upheld. But at the same time, um, it, it, it's a mild concern, I, I suppose, whether it's Christine in any way or not, obviously magnified uh, because it is Christine. Um, and I point out that although the story of the game was probably um, the diversity of our offense and a lot of folks uh, contributed to the scoring, um, I, we did not score nearly as efficiently um, with uh, without Christine as we have with her. Well, duh, obviously, Christine Inigwe, right? But if I'm looking at the last five games, we put up a one, three 120s in a row and a 110, followed by um, an 89 against BYU. Um no coincidence, I think, that our best player was out and someone who's just got more gravity, I think, than anyone in college basketball. She draws so much attention there. So, I mean, if if your question was before the game, like, do we need Christina Nigue? The answer is yes. I, I know that the positive spin on that was, well, we found a way to win without her. and We have a lot of depth. And I think all of that's true. But... Um, we we need Christine anyway to be healthy um, and 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 um, and um, able to play um, uh, to be at our best and if we're going to reach our ceiling, which I think is where we want to close, is uh, uh, heading into a stretch of the season where we want to start talking about our ceiling. But um, I, I know that was my main takeaway. That and it was basketball fun. Nick was talking about the fun trip to Stockton. I just even though there were maybe half the people at the women's game that were at the men's game, I feel like the energy was so much better. Is not the right word. I just feel like there's a sense of anticipation about how good this team can be. And they play a style this year. That's a lot of fun to watch. They change defenses a lot and tempo is nice. And um, we've just got some exciting players. And so, um, yeah, the BYU win itself was just sort of a pedestrian win um, without our best player. But I think overall, it's just it's just a joy to be around and watch this team. Um, and I'm really, really excited for the next couple of weeks. Nick, anything else? Well, we can segue right into what's coming up, which is we've got four straight games against top 50 level opponents uh, Nick do Kentucky. you know why Vlad tweeted me at me on this and I have no idea why are they starting this at noon in Kentucky tomorrow so my personal theory on that is that this is about getting content for the SEC network um, 
the SEC network probably has primetime content, men's basketball games, um, bowl games, recruiting, and, and but you got to fill those hours. And so uh, you can start a game at noon East Coast time and have a nice basketball game. And they don't particularly care that it's a pain in the butt for any Cal fan to watch. Which, by the way, you know, open invitation reef. Uh, I get the SEC network. You can come watch it on my big screen in Sacramento. I will be at work, uh, so it might be a little weird. My wife might wonder why you're in the house, but you're welcome. Um, I, thank you. I will. Uh, I will consider that. We'll report back next week whether I drove up to Sacramento to watch a game or watch just watch it at home. <laughs> All right. Um, let me ask you this: for the women's side, what are you, what are you guys looking out for for this Kentucky game before we go into pactual play for the women's and the men's? Is it lazy just to say a win? <laughs> I, I haven't had the chance to scout Kentucky yet, and and maybe the fact that I'm not going to be able to watch the game has something to do with that. Um, there, the Kentucky's coming in in a weird sort of way. They've lost a few games in a row, but. You know, to teams that are roughly on Cal's level. They've been on the road, though, and you kind of worry that they're going to come out and, and try to really put a lot of effort into ending their losing streak against uh, a marquee opponent on their home floor. Yeah, I, I had a little bit of time um, today to take a look at them. Um, they, they have lost three in a row, but... Um, good competition they're gonna really really want to win they, they present weird matchups there macy morris is their um best player um tall guard shoots well but also their second leading shot blocker um their point guard um whose name escapes you right now is, i was just looking up and down the lineup is five six but is their second leading rebounder um they play a three guard lineup um, I couldn't find tempo stats because welcome to basketball. Um, but it, it just, it, it was hard to pigeonhole them. Um, and, um, but they're, they're, they're a solid offensive club. Um, my, my bow, whether this year is going to be defense. Cause I think our defense has been much, much better than last year, but against weaker competition. Um, I think the other piece, the, the other reason I think this is really important is just, I don't know. It's hard to read psychological tea leaves, but basically at the start of uh, this non-conference season, we've beaten everyone we're supposed to be. Um, we lost to UConn and we're supposed to lose to UConn and whatever. But the, but the only other sort of bellwether game, the game that, okay, this might tell us a little bit how we're going to do in, in um, one of the toughest conferences in the country was the Missouri game which Nick and I were both at, and we very well could have won, but um, gave it away with that first-half offensive performance, and you know, it wasn't our best game. We could have, should have played better, um, should have defended our home court, didn't. And I don't know that I want, and, and, and Kentucky's at that same caliber of power conference, could compete in the Pac-12 level of school, and I don't want... I don't want to go into conference season 0-3 against high-end competition. I, I'm not sure ultimately that it matters because you, you're going to take the floor against USC and you're going to be psyched to play, right? You're going to take the floor against UCLA. You're going to be psyched to play. But I don't know. It, it, it just would feel better um, about our chances this year if we could put up a solid win on the road against good competition. Um, otherwise, it's going to be an interesting nine days or eight days. We got eight days um, off. It's going to be an interesting eight days kind of contemplating where we really are in the universe of things. So, I don't know, Nick, you've seen a lot of non-conference ups and downs. We were, what, 12-0 and 0 last year. So, I mean, does it matter if we put up this signature W or no? It doesn't matter from an NCAA perspective because the Pac-12 is strong enough that we could lose to Kentucky. And if, if we put that immediately behind us and went... 12 and 6 in the Pac-12, you know, we'd be getting a 5 seed probably at least. So, you know, in the sense of like achieving our goals for the season which would be to compete as well as we can in the conference, make the tournament in a position where we could make some noise. This game doesn't matter. But you'd have to say that 
this is a chance to prove that we are ready to make noise in the Pac-12. You know, if, if they were to, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, I'll be sad, of course, but if they lose a close game on the road and, and it looks like, you know, from the eye test or whatever that they're playing well, I'm not going to be too discouraged. Going to Kentucky, uh, if you're not ready to play, you could, you know, lose by 10, 15. Um, and that would be a little bit concerning because we've had the last few years solid non-conference performances that were not followed up by Pac-12 performances. Uh, and the league is a grinder. It's it's a little bit down from last year, but it's still a grinder. And if they're not ready every single game, they'll be punished for it. And so I want the Bears to come out in a way that tells me that they're ready for that grinder. And I think you know one of the things that's really hard for me to solve right now, and especially with the the lack of information in women's ball, is um, statistically we look like about the 30th to 40th team in the country. But I, I, I haven't done a lot of um, analysis of this. It's what I hope to do with the eight days is kind of try to figure that out a little bit more and, and especially figure out where we are on both sides of the ball. But I think overall what it looks like is that we're playing like the 30th to 40th team. That seems like-ish. Um, on the other hand, I, I don't know, to my eye and – Granted, I don't have as much of an eye for women's uh, ball as I do for men's ball, and I'm still sort of learning these rhythms. Um, but I've watched a ton, both of our team and other teams. Um, early this year is sort of my new obsession. And to me, we look top 20-ish. Um, and, 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 I, and I've watched a bunch of top 20 ball, and it feels like we're a team that can compete at that level um, very easily. Um, I, I think this is the best... Um, talent we've had and cohesion we've had and depth we've had since that final four game. And, but statistically and, and the, the statistics don't lie. And I, um, and, and I rely on, on this a lot when I make predictions. Um, it's kind of not at the level we're playing at yet. And so if I'm thinking about what, what why I think tomorrow is important, I think tomorrow is a chance to go out and do exactly um, what Baylor and um, Louisville and who else did they play in this um, in this losing streak? I mean, they, they they placed a bunch of you know NCAA borderline teams as well as Baylor and Louisville in uh, this losing streak. Um, it's a chance for us to do what those teams did, and if we can't do what those teams did, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a it's one game; it could be a one off, but I think that that may tell us something in the other direction, and it may uh, tell us to tamp down expectations a little bit. But I don't want to do that. I don't want to spend my Christmas going, eh, maybe we're maybe we're not as good as I thought we were. You know, um, and that, that's purely psychological. That's purely from the fan perspective. But you know, data is data, and tomorrow is a pretty big data point. We we don't have many of these data points in the preseason, and um, I want to see us play well. All right, there you have it. Another one in the books. About an hour's worth of us talking. A lot more fun than some of those previous weeks. I, I don't know. I, we've had a couple of fun ones, even despite the losses. And I'm, I'm just glad that I didn't need catharsis. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't need to use the word once. Well, you just yes. did, but yes. I mean, I will say, when we next do this, you know, we'll probably will have Kentucky... Behind us, Portland State's going to be really interesting. We're going to have um, Stanford behind us, the, the L.A. schools at home for the women. I mean, it'll be a lot to talk about next time. Oh, a yeah. lot to talk about next time. Yeah, that trip down to Palo Alto on December 30th is not going to be fun. It's going to be interesting. I'm very, very interested. I, I don't know. I, I hesitate to, to – with this, this team has had the – this team has had the um, greatest standard deviation of any team I've ever recorded um, <laughs> relative to sort of expectation and what my models predict. So I, from game to game, I, I, I still don't, don't know what the hell we're doing. Um, so who knows? Um, but to my eye, we're playing better basketball. And so let's, um, 
so let's be optimistic. Like we could go down and beat Stanford. I mean, I, I do think it is with it. Stanford is one of a handful of teams in the Pac-12 where on a neutral court, I wouldn't hate our chances. Um, there's you know four, three or four of them, um, and Stanford's certainly one of them. Oh, I'm not saying that we're not going to win. I'm just saying I hate driving down to Palo Alto. Yeah, I don't. I'm not going to very many men's games anymore, so I'll be watching on TV. Yeah. All right. Well, that does it for us. Uh, we will be back probably within a couple weeks, um, just because it is holiday season. Uh, Merry Christmas to you both. Happy holidays to you both. And I will see you guys probably right after the new year. Yeah. Have a very Merry Christmas to both of you. A wonderful Boxing Day for all. Ah, yes. Who doesn't love some Boxing Day Premier League? All right. And, uh, yeah. Um, (laughs) Happy holidays and uh, go Bears. Go Bears. Go Bears. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.